Hello, and welcome to Muse and Metrics. This is your host, Philippa Burgess. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 3. Today's topic is Growth Mindset. So my name is Tidra Budrobar. I'm a product designer for Kimoyo Insight, which is a research platform that um, automates user research across Africa. I'm a WTM ambassador, which I'm particularly excited about because it's all about giving back to community. And when I look through my entire tech journey, it all had to do with community. Getting started and getting to the point where I am currently is all community. And also, I'm also one of the co-leads of the GDG community as well, in my local community. And it has all been an absolute experience so far. And I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. I also am new to being a WTM ambassador. I started last November, oh. so almost coming out, not quite a year. And it has been Ooh. the thing that- <laughs> That's a year. <laughs> it's coming up on a, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving quickly. I, and that was the thing I was missing because I'm have i in my third career and I had left industries that had really very tight-knit communities. And I wanted to sort of set off on a new direction and I was missing community. And this has given me that sense of community. And it's been so incredibly powerful to have that. And then to help me expand and build additional communities through the resources and friendships and opportunities yeah. that I've gotten through this program. Yeah. So you also speak yeah, to I having a... So there's two sides of it. There's what we get as ambassadors and the community we have with each other and the resources that were provided by Google and then the communities that we help to empower and that we build as leaders and how we want to speak and share and empower, inspire others through our learnings, our skills, our trade and how we want to address issues that are real issues and challenges uh, for women, especially in the tech industry, uh, as well as inspire other people about what's possible. You talk about this community that helped you. Who are these people? Is it from an academic forum, from a professional <laughs> forum? Who are the ways that you were able to identify mentors? How did you even set up on the path of, I want to be a product mm -hmm. designer? Okay. All right. And uh, oftentimes when I think about the story, it's a pretty, very interesting one because the first time I made up my mind, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to do product design. I knew I was just interested in tech and because I had a bit of graphic design experience, I just said, okay, maybe this is something I'll be interested in. And I went on Twitter. I went to search for any tech person that was in my community. That was just what I did. And the name came up Charles Freeborn. And at the time, it was the GDG lead for my local community. And I reached out to him and told him that I'm thinking of dabbling into tech. I don't know exactly how to go about it. And he was like, okay, send me your contact. I'm going to give you a call, which he did. We got on a call. He told me a few things about the community. And I told him I'm interested. He was like, okay, when you come in, you get um, connected with other tech people as well too. You get resources and it would even help in whichever part, making a decision on which of the parts you'd want to go with. And I did, I got into the community. And so the time I got in, as uh, Google IO extended for that year, that was like 2019. Google IO extended was about to begin and we're looking for a graphic designer to help them with some of the events and flyers and posters just to publicize the event. And I stepped up and said, okay, I was going to help them do it. This is something I already had like a background in. So we did that. I attended Google, I extended. I was excited having to hear all the speakers. I was like, oh, I find this really interesting. <laughs> I think I would want to stay here. And fast forward a few months later, it was DevFest. And they were trying um, to create a list of speakers for DevFest. All right, so of all the speakers on DevFest, they had just one lady. Every other word was male, and he said, no, that this is not diverse. And he was like, TJ, would you be interested in speaking at DevFest? I was like, I don't know. 
I haven't done it before. And it was like, don't worry, I'm going to show you what to do. I'll give you a framework. If it's if possible, I would help you practice so you can do it. And I did. From there on, I got connected to other people in tech. I got to experience new dimensions. And that was, I think it was even in DevFest 2019. That was the first time I heard about user experience design. Because one of the developers that came outside of our states to come speak, he kept emphasizing on it when he was speaking about some certain products. And I went to do my research about it. I did my research. I said, okay, I have a background in graphic design. I think this is something I would want to get into. I started reading, and this was November at the time. I started reading, moving from one resource to another. Then 2020, COVID hit. Everyone was on lockdown, so you had to find a way to stay within that um, lockdown period. I got learning even some more, and then there were a lot of hackathons going on as at that time. They were inviting people, come and create solutions that can help us fight the COVID as at that time. So I got into the Slack channel. I was just a newbie. I didn't even know what I was doing. So I was just looking for an opportunity to practice everything I've possibly been learning. And I got into a team called Team FACO, Fight Against Coronavirus. I got into the team and I helped them. I told them, I'm still new to product design, but one thing I know is that if we all work together, we can get the solution out. And so we ended up building a um, digital diagnostic tool whereby users just practically have to answer some series of questions. They go through some series of process and they can give them um, like a shot of if they um, have symptoms of COVID, get them to the nearest um, hospitals around, or even an opportunity to book an ambulance to come get them if it's a situation that is critical. And to our surprise, one of the hackathons we applied to, which was Covindatin, we ended up winning the hackathon, which was amazing. I was like, wow, I think product design is something I want to do because when we won that, I just went from the point of product design is not just about pixels. It's not just about making things beautiful. It's about solving a problem. And with design, we just solved the problem and we ended up winning. We were not expecting it, honestly. And that was it. I started moving from internship to internship. I started learning, joined fellowships, and today we're here. <laughs> I love that. What a wonderful story about also crisis is opportunity we have this global crisis and <laughs> like, te teams are coming together to say, how do we solve this? What do we do? And being able to yeah. raise, raise our hand. Yes, exactly. I can. And oftentimes the transition is not really easy. It takes a lot of dedication and you have to be disciplined as well because there's this tendency of you wanting to draw back and get back into your shell, which is your safe zone. I don't want to move. I think I'm okay with what I have. But with the way things are working and the trends are constantly changing, you have to constantly evolve as well, too, with those trends. So I agree with you. <laughs> For every micro interaction that doesn't work, you're like, no, this isn't working. And there are some that are just very artistically pleasing. But then you find so many bugs. It's not usable. It's not functional. So to what end? And at the same time, some people will tell you that, oh, it doesn't really have to be beautiful, but does it work? Does it solve the problem? And at the same time, it's important for it to be visually appealing. And it's also important for it to be usable and functional. Everything is what creates the experience. That's what keeps you going back to the product because you're like, oh, I love the interface. I love the micro interactions. It's solving the problem I want it to solve. Everybody's happy. <laughs> and I think also that's another importance when it comes to like um, careers in product design, because oftentimes you find that there are different craft levels. You find some uh, you find some really new designers that they can create very appealing UIs. When you look at the UI, you like the color contrast, everything is amazing. But then it comes to the functional part, which is the UX you find that there are still some laps that needs to be covered. Sometimes you find out that there are levels. That's why you find out that you have like a product designer, a junior product designer, a senior product designer. 
that's because the level of their UX experience is totally different. And as they grow in that user experience, they tend to hone their craft more. That's why you see oftentimes, you know, designers, they cannot work on really complex projects because it gets overwhelming. But for senior designers, they understand the experience and they are able to convert that experience into visually appealing um, interfaces as well. That's why you see some products really appealing, really functional, and you want to keep going back to it as well. And, and you only get yes. that experience by getting that experience, which comes back to, I think, why community is so important because the people that know and trust you, trust you to come onto that team and that experience is yes. now going to grow you to the next level, to the next opportunity. I've always worked for a company ever since I got into product design. So basically, like you said, the company basically handles all of those other aspects. I just need to focus on what I'm there to do, which is actually um, lead the design of our different um, software product solutions. And with that, it allows you to actually focus on what is important because then there are other people to take care of the other aspects that needs to move the, um, the product or the company to the exact vision that you're trying to achieve as well. And one thing I've come to understand as well is the fact that for everyone that is doing their role in one way or the other, it's just a step towards having to achieve the objective as at the time for um, the business. So. And do you deal much with, I, I see these memes on the internet where they'll have a, a dishwasher glove that will have rhinestones on it, the plastic, and then they'll have a uh, one that's made of pure gold and authentic gems. And they'll sort of say client budget versus client expectation. And the client budget is $5 and the client expectation is $5 million. And they, they, they <laughs> are you reined in with what you do to understand how much resource has actually been given to a particular project to know, you know, where your limits are in, in a product development task? Okay. All right. Okay. So basically how it works now in my current company, we don't really have like the entire details of how much resources is put into it. But what we do is that at the beginning of every quarter, based on the resource that is available, we get like a list of objectives that will cover through for that resources for the quarter. And so with that objective, we tend to like have um, several goals that would be able to help us achieve the objective we want to achieve for that quarter. So in terms of having the resources, we, we don't have a full disclosure of that. That's only on the high level management side of things. But you have enough to run with and just bring your best to every project and bring everything that you need to design and, and, and solve the problem. That the, and how much does the client bring to you as far as the idea, the assets, the resources, the branding, okay. how much is there versus how much do you need to add to the project? Okay. So it's, it basically depends. There are sometimes that um, I basically take on projects that are for maybe an external client when maybe I have the free time. So most of the times for such clients, I, first of all, I, I get on a meeting with them just to basically understand what they're trying to do. What solution are you trying to solve and all of that. So when I do that interview to get all the information I need, they tend to provide the brand elements because oftentimes they already have their brand elements because um, who is responsible for the brand identity design is totally different. So, and that's usually the first step that most, um, most organization or most startups, they do. They tend to have their branding in place so then they are able to have like position themselves in the industry. This is what we are known for. This is what we are creating. We don't have the solution yet, but they position themselves at the point whereby when the solution comes, people already know about them and they would be willing to use what they are offering. So coming back to um, my own point of view, after having this meeting with them to understand what the requirements are and all of that, then I get the assets from them. Usually um, what's needed, it depends on sometimes some of these clients, they've already done their research. 
they have all their research data ready. They have it synthesized. So they just give you the information. And you as the designer, you use that information to determine what's the best solution for those problems that we have cut across the users. And from there, you start creating, um, ideating, exploring different solutions, which you go through the process of having to test, testing the solutions, just going through like the entire design thinking process, design, you test, you repeat the process until you arrive at a solution that you can put in front of customers. Because when you are able to put it in front of customers, then you understand, is this actually solving the problem it's intended to? Because once they're using it, you tend to observe, is it solving your problem? And if you find out that the basic problem is solving it, then you start discovering what else can this do? What else can this do? And all of this you get by conversing with your users. You tend to identify what your problem is. And you conversing with them, most people get the idea of you speak to your users or you speak to your potential users to get features from them. More like, okay, if I could have this, I think it would be better. But necessarily, that's not the case. Because oftentimes, some of the problems we're trying to solve, there are solutions already for them. So what you're trying to do is basically to get from these users you're already using this product. What exactly is working for you here? And what exactly are you looking for that could better improve the experience? And all of this information is what guides your decision to be able to create the, the product that is expected for the users. So there's, a, there's an iterative process. You're building, you're getting feedback, and then you're getting new ideas to take it to the next level and, and see where, where else can we expand and grow and to yes. do things that just make sense for the fact that you're already here. And we're not trying to solve all problems. We're just trying to solve the problems that make sense with you being in this lane, in you know, already <laughs> on this website, already on this app. And, and actually, it's another question. What products are you actually, are you building on web? Are you building on mobile? What, where, where do these products exist? Okay, so um, before now, the product I built, I built a product that is basically a web app and that's for SEO agencies. It's a product that helps SEO agencies to find keywords fast and for them to be able to manage a large database of key, um, keywords. But currently now at Kimoyo Insights, I work on um, across the website, their web app, and their mobile app as well. So it costs across the three platforms. So sometimes there are some products that are basically web app. You don't need to think about mobile, but there are some products that you have to think about the website, think about the web app and mobile app. And for Kimoyo Insight, Kimoyo Insight is a startup. So we're still trying to build everything and get rightly positioned in the tech community. So working at a startup is its own experience because there, as I was, we were talking about the difference between working for yourself and having to bid out and, and do payments. And, uh, and then there's the, the other side of it, which is corporate and they're super established startups are their own thing because they evolve, they grow quickly. They have to be uh, nimble. Some of the best cultures you can find can be startups because they really do start with this. I care. We really, really care. But then they can also be some of the worst cultures because they sort of say, well, you have to kind of forgive us for everything because we're just a startup. But then as they grow, they start to, you start to ask questions and they say, oh no, no, we definitely can't do that because we're corporate now. And, and you're like, yeah, but two seconds ago, you just said you were a startup and we needed to forgive you. So it, that you have to really manage and protect yourself when you work in a startup because it's driven by a lot of enthusiasm. It's driven by a good mission, a good purpose. And there's a lot of motivation to grow and to establish your market position. So they ask a lot of their employees to really help because it's a big stretch from where you are to where you want to be but also making sure that you're protected and you're treated fairly and, and that you can manage appropriate work-life balance. I think startups are amazing because they let you wear many, many hats. It's not Man. so in the box. It's like kind of whatever needs to be done, all hands on deck to do it. So you can get amazing experience and to really have that resume building and that confidence of, yes, I've done this and I've done that and I've done that and I've done that. Uh, I've worked for a hyper growth company for five years. 
I guess my point is, yeah, just talk about your startup experience. Because I'm sharing mine. It's chaotic. <laughs> it's crazy. It's fun. Um, you're on a mission. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is on a mission. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more with you. But I think it's a, it's a very good experience to an extent. And one thing I like about it is the fact that they allow you to explore. So it's different um, in a situation whereby you, as much as you are time bound, because you have to quickly iterate because we're trying to get the product out um, quickly, they still allow you to explore because then they will ask you, are you able to do this? You're allowed to learn on the job, not basically coming in as um, with no experience, but you know what you're doing, but they allow you to learn. They allow you to feel while learning. By the end of the day, you are able to come up with solutions. And I can tell you is the fact that, like you mentioned, you have to wear many arts. You have to constantly be presenting. And before you know it, for someone who maybe you're not so confident with presentation, your storytelling is not good, after a while, you find yourself just being flexible in it. And I, I will share something with you. Initially, um, when I have presentations in order to present my designs before now, it was really difficult because then you have to think of all of the stakeholders that you have available. How do you ensure you communicate your ideas and everyone understands? Because if you get too technical, maybe those in marketing may not understand what you're saying. And maybe if you're not so technical, engineers might be wondering, what's she saying? So you should be able to communicate in such a way whereby you're speaking everyone's language. Managers, they like to hear the word metrics. Like, what metrics is this affecting? Are we making more money? Are we having more customers, more users? So if you're presenting, you have to be able to present in such a way whereby you communicate to them that, okay, this feature we're designing is going to affect this metrics. It's going to increase our users. Then when you're speaking to developers as well, too, you have to come from a point whereby you help them understand what you're saying. And before you know it, you're not just learning about design. You've started diving into other aspects of product development just because you need to communicate those ideas you're designing. And it's very interesting because you find yourself reading even more and you get better. And honestly, sometimes when I, I watch myself or maybe when my teammates, they, they get back to me and tell me that, TJ, I really love how you explain this. And I smile and look back. I was like, this never used to happen. I used to be so terrible at this. But I've been given the opportunity to learn, fail in the process, but we're here for you. No one is going to judge you. And you find that you keep growing. And honestly, I love it. <laughs> I love it to an extent. That's fantastic. I do think that startups offer excitement and growth where bigger corporations can offer more stability and just, and, and, yes. and so it's a different, and, but when you're in that, but sometimes when you go to a, a larger corporation, you don't really expect the promotion, like go in there with the job that you want and the level that you want and be satisfied with that. And if you don't really move very far, then you're okay with that because you're really happy with the place that you got in. I think for younger yeah. people who are ambitious, who want to grow, startups mm. are so great because all these challenges, all these opportunities are coming at you. And whereas when you're corporatized, they, they've sort of hired you to do one thing and they just want you to do that really well. And in exchange, they'll give you stability. Yeah. And I think, yes. that, <laughs> I think that startups are, are really, there's, there's a, so many ways where you're encouraged to grow and that there's growth and that I've noticed that people who stay at startups mm. and really stay the course can end up in some really nice positions as those companies do become more corporate and do get more established. Those who are there from the beginning yeah. and took those opportunities to learn and grow and find their perfect expression of who they are and, and where they uh, best deliver the, on their talents. And some of those talents, yeah. like you said, are completely developed, like speaking, presenting. Mm -hmm. And you're yeah. only get there with practice. <laughs> uh, and I, th I think the name of the show is Muse and Metrics. Muse is to capture the creative <laughs> and the let's just explore and like, what's possible. 
and the metrics, which is, yeah, yeah let's talk about the details. Let's talk about the, 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 the tech, the science, the math, the, yeah. the part yeah. of it that's very grounded in uh, solutions. Mm -hmm. So that's where I, I kind of named the show Muse and Metrics because that I felt was a, a proper oh, expression yeah. of who <laughs> I am. I'm very creative, but I'm very wow. practical. And I think I just yeah. finished a leadership class and in it, we talked about the different types of leaders that we can be. And what I really appreciated about class is they said, it's not that you have to pick one. It's that all of these exist within, can exist within us, that we can be strategic yeah. leaders and that we can be operational leaders. And I think that many of the women I speak to who are women tech makers, ambassadors, already come in when they apply to the program in being strategic leaders and operational leaders. And it feels like yeah. all of us in this program are becoming better thought leaders and better bridge building leaders. That those are the skills that we are getting to work together to enhance and improve. Yeah. And I think that public speaking, presenting is all part of thought leadership yeah. and bridge building leadership. And so I just appreciated yeah. kind of learning that those were some of the, the leadership types that are out there that we can all embrace. I'm very operational. I, if I say I'm going to do something, I, I want it done. Uh, I like the idea, but I'm also strategic. Like what's possible when I think of something then I immediately move into what are all the practical steps to actually execute this. The combination of boards is really important. Yes. When it comes to software development, Meant because as much as you you try to explore what's possible, you get to a point whereby you have to like document, okay, this is what we need to do. All of these are possible, but for now, this is what we need to do. So both of them together is really important. It's an important skill to to own. I had my own business with a partner for like a while years ago. And I remember one time he came to me and he said, I don't understand because in meetings, sometimes you'll say this and this and this and this. And he's like, then you go off and do this. And I said, yes, because I was in the meeting thinking about what's possible. And then I filtered through it and decided what was actually practical and executable. And that's what I did. And he's like, oh, can you just explain that to me? Just be more articulate. So I know this is an idea and this is a task. Because I only I only need to hold you accountable <laughs> to tasks, and I do all my tasks once you yeah. understood that I do tasks. But I everything I talk about in the meeting was oh what's possible? What are some of my ideas? There's brainstorming, and then I would pick the best and I get it done. And once he understood that, he's like oh okay yeah. great that's totally helpful. Just let me know so I'm not left with the meeting having written all the things you said down thinking you were going to do all of those things. <laughs> I was like okay <laughs> perfect. Because we do have to filter through the possible to, to the actual executable. What's worth the time? What's worth the money? What's worth the impact? Yes. Yes. All of those, putting all of those into account, it even helps you to time box what exactly you should do. Because when you have all of the explorations, you tend to, there's this tendency of you having to like, oh, there isn't enough time. How am I going to get all of this done? But the moment you have the tax that you're supposed to do, you find that that it's easier for you to complete and you can move to the next as well too. Yeah, I see that has been a recent struggle for me in my YouTube life because I have all these different interests and these different things I want to talk about. And so I box them into niches. And then yeah. I have these ideas of these videos that I want to make, but then I just... I get analysis yeah. paralysis because each video has multiple steps. You have to have planning, you have to have the assets, you have to you know, all these things. And I have just fallen into analysis. Yeah, I just freeze. So now I'm trying to figure out like just specifically what I'm I supposed to do. Because if I know what I'm supposed to do, I'll get it done. But if I get too overwhelmed with where do I start? What do I do next? I'm not nearly as productive. And I think that's where I also had to pull back from <laughs> what are my technical limitations? Mm. When I really made peace with, I no longer have editing on my computer, what can I do now? Mm. And suddenly realized that I was like, or, or to be specific, I no longer have Premiere Pro editing. I have an audio editor okay. I use that has some video functions and I haven't fully explored yet what they are. And they, they actually might do the job. I, I could 
So I shouldn't say I have no editing. I just don't have fancy editing. But I also don't have this. Like you talked about the levels. I don't yet have the skills yet to do the fancy editing. I'm, I want to learn it, but I also maybe I should have my audience first. Maybe I should just get in the practice of doing the videos with what I have. So I do think that growing and learning and understanding, like you said, time limitations, skill limitations, um, and just working yes. with what you have and building on success. Because when you you said like, I'm sure when you got that award, your confidence level of what can mm. I take on now? <laughs> What's next? Where do I go from here? It doesn't have those, those awards and that positive feedback from other people has such a positive and yeah. actionable way of sort of how we perceive ourselves and, and what we want for ourselves. Can you talk a bit, a bit about that experience yeah. of being acknowledged publicly okay. for the work that you did? <laughs> okay, so having to be acknowledged for the work I do, it, it, it comes in two ways because you have to also be careful because you can get to a point whereby you get all of these acknowledgements and then you tend to put so much pressure on yourself, like, what am I going to do next to be acknowledged? What am I going to pull out there to be acknowledged? So you have to first determine to beat that down and just basically focus on groups. Because if you allow the pressure to get into you, then it's not going to be about you focusing on your groups, but it's going to be about you trying to see what um, the social media is going to, to do for you or what you're going to get from them. So simply put, I would just say it's it's been really um, a good experience because when I get um, most of this acknowledgement, it tends to make me understand that what I'm doing is valuable. People actually understand what I'm doing. And then I ask myself, how can I get better? Yes, sometimes I get into that... Um, that zone of having to like thinking of a lot of things I want to do. And like you said, I tend to have that analysis paralysis. Like I want to get this done. I want to get this done. But then I would realize like, okay, why are you so scared? Why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? Take a step back. And when I'm taking a step back, that's just me taking out my journal. I start documenting what exactly is in my head that I think I want to do. I start writing every single thing down. I write to a point whereby I have nothing else to write again. And when I get to that point, I was like, okay, which one of them am I going to focus on first? What exactly do I want to do first on this list? And the moment I start doing those things and start taking them out, then I understand, okay, now I'm back to actually growing and not being influenced by maybe the rewards or maybe the recognition that I got. All of those things are important because then they put you in a position whereby people understand that, okay, you're a domain expert in what you do. You can actually help other people come into what you do as well. You have the skills, you have the experience, and you have what it takes to help people come in. But at the same time, you have to be sure you're not putting too much pressure on yourself because the moment you get to that point, it tends to affect your productivity as well, too. I can, I can see that. Absolutely. When you I've, I've seen even some YouTubers have said that they get a video that spikes and then they'll, they'll <laughs> and they sort of freak out about what, what do I make next? Because most what of their videos, but, but over time, they're improving. They just get this one and then they just mm. kind of how do I how do I get how do I repeat that it's, instead yeah. of just focusing on the hey, you're just making steady progress, keep going. So it is important to find that balance of just doing doing the work and not, mm. like I said, looking for that next, like, you know, yes. big award. Uh, but, you know, but, yes. but it's, it's still nice when you get them. Yeah, it's and still then, nice. But <laughs> it's, 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 it's better when it comes naturally. Yes. If you're not too focused on it, you find that, that you get to a point whereby they come naturally. You don't even have to do anything anymore for them to come to you. You get to the point you're like, okay, now I'm tired. I don't want this anymore. <laughs> but it didn't just happen. It took a while. And oftentimes, I think a lot of people, they go into that point whereby because they're not able to like consistently see the growth, they tend to feel they're not growing. 
So the moment they get to the peak, they'll be like, how did I get here? But if they actually documented the growth process, they would see they've been moving, but more like a tortoise moving slowly. Then all of a sudden, they're here like, okay, it's actually a process. And until you're able to see that, you just feel oh, overwhelmed with everything that's happening. I want to bring that point back to community because being a graduate student, mm. I trust my teachers, my professors, the university to take mm. me on a 16 week learning transformation. And I just lean in and I trust the process. Mm -hmm. Even if I feel overwhelmed, even if I don't understand it, even if I'm working really hard to, to get it, even if I have to go to office hours, what's going on. A lot of the technology I love, but it bends my brain because I don't think that way naturally. And then once I kind of get it, it kind of clicks and it's like, oh, okay. But it took me a while to get there, especially learning these mapping softwares that we use or SQL. The logic of it makes sense, but it just takes me a while to get there. And just to have that yeah. trust that it's okay to feel kind of overwhelmed. It's okay to just go with it. And like you said, that incremental growth and having done a one-year certificate coming out that other side, also realizing that one year wasn't nearly enough. And I sort of signed up for the full second master's beyond the certificate. <laughs> I... But I felt like in that one year certificate, I feel like I have enough credibility to now go back and teach people who are at the beginning and use that mm. to really polish my skills, really say, do I know this well enough? Do I know the terminology, mm. the language, the logic, or how to apply that particular geoprocessing tool for a particular result? Do I know all the steps? Can I explain it to someone else is actually rooted in wanting to help other people, but really grounded in, I want to know this well for myself. And so we learn by teaching. Yeah. So I think when you talk about that incremental growth, mm -hmm. I guess part of it is there's a community around us that lets us get yes. uncomfortable because there's people that we can ask questions of. There's people we can ask for help. There's people mm -hmm. we can sort of say, hey, I've taken on this aspect of this project, but I don't really know exactly the way forward here or how to yeah. implement this or what the most efficient way is. So the ability to be in that community helps us grow. And then we're able to turn around and give back to that community. Yes. Can you elaborate on some of those? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So currently now, um, there are some um, women who are wanting to learn product design that I'm currently mentoring now. And one thing I've come to understand ever since I started mentoring them was the fact that if I don't understand fully what I do, I won't be able to teach them anything. And one thing I've also understood is that the fact, the, the more I get to work with them, the more I get to mentor them, I tend to learn even better. Because when I know I'm going into a meeting with them, I understand that, okay, if this is what I'm going to focus on today, I need to know very well the basics. I need to know it even more than the basics so that I can actively teach them what is expected to do. And I found that, that when you get to give back so much to the community, it helps you in the process. And that's one thing that um, I've come to understand in the long run. In as much as you're giving back to the community, some of the times people are like, oh, you spend a lot of time giving back to the community. But at the end of the day, I'm helping myself too. Because then, before I give back, I have to learn. And like you said, if you're not grounded enough, if you don't know the, the, the domain well enough, you can't pass any knowledge to anybody. No one will even take you serious because then you won't even be credible. So having to have this opportunity to give presentations on certain topics, offer mentoring, it helps me to learn as well. Because if you, if let's say for instance, you do a presentation on a particular domain topic, definitely questions are going to arise. Questions that might not even be in your presentation. If you don't have understanding of the domain subject, you won't be able to respond to the questions. What that comes back to is the fact that you have to know what you're doing 
ensure you learn even more about it for you to be able to function well. And ever since I started mentoring the community and giving presentations, it has really helped because it allows me to force myself to read. And you know, reading is hard. <laughs> Nobody loves to read. Nobody loves to read. Nobody loves to do courses or do anything whatsoever. It's stressful because you think after a day's work, I just need to rest. But then it's helpful for you because when you read, you become more knowledgeable and also you become more confident in what you're doing. So it's 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 absolutely really important. I completely agree with that. And that's, I mean, being in university, that's what they do. They say, here's your reading list. And we grow through the books <laughs> that we read, the articles that we read. And the exercises that we do. And then the lectures are there to reinforce key points and bring it together in a discussion. Mm. And um, I think that one of the things that has been transformative for me going back to school mid-career is that when I started school, we only had the choice of reading paper. Mm. And then now there's reading mm. digital. And actually my favorite thing, and I do it quite mm. a bit, is read it to me. I can now take any PDF and bring it into Microsoft Edge and hit read it to me. And I have found my dad was going to say, well, like, he's like, well, it's so much slower to have it read than just to read it yourself. But I got to the point where I'm like, I can't read more that at the end of a long day, I can just lie down and just have it read to me. If there's pictures or things like that, I can look at the screen and kind of watch it, but it's a little slow to kind of try to read and, um, and have it listened to. So sometimes I'll just, uh, sometimes I even play a game just because a game keeps me awake from not falling asleep, but it's mindless and I'm listening and I'm hearing yeah. everything. Or yeah. I'll have a um, step away from the computer yeah. as opposed to being uh, wired into it. And with a, a wireless, I can yeah. go do a task while I'm listening yeah. to it. And so I find that it doesn't matter to me how you take in the information, whether you take it in through video, whether you take it in through audio, through reading digitally, through reading paper, However you want to take in the knowledge, take it in because there's a lot of really good stuff out there that grounds your knowledge. But also when you talk to other people, you now have these new ideas to reference. Because when you are able to reference so many other domain experts, it actually means that, okay, you're not just in your own space. You understand what's happening in the industry. And that makes it all the better. And just going in and listening to that event, how much more I know about the Palm 2 and Gemini and all the things that Bard AI is doing and Adobe yes. Firefly, all of these mm -hmm. really cool things. And then I'm seeing them happen when I Google, I see generate AI, you know, I see I now just mm -hmm. enabled my workspace. So I was in Sheets yesterday and mm -hmm. I was able to add generative AI to I'm working on this kind of table. Can you help me set it up? boom, like the whole template is there. Mm. So I got yeah. that because I leaned in and listened to the audio and was able to yeah. fold it in and, and spent several hours doing that. That was so mm. time so well spent that I wouldn't have done it otherwise if the WTM ambassador team hadn't invited me to say, hey, go ahead and, and produce a video about Google I.O. Extended. And then that sort of, because I didn't, because sometimes if you don't attend something, then you think, oh, I wasn't there. Yeah. So then it's not relevant to me. But all of these things are millions of hours of conference material available online just for the, the looking and the seeking. <laughs> and I think that, again, I think that that's maybe our role as leaders and our role as ambassadors is helping people to know what to focus on. Because I think people yes. also have their own analysis paralysis of there's too much out there. I don't know where to start. <laughs> there's too much out there. And I totally agree with you because I, I think even for, for me as well, I had to like learn so much and start on learning at the same time. So having a structured learning part is really important. And because you have like um, a, a mix of the community, you have developers, you have people that are into cybersecurity, you have designers. So you have to ensure. And another important thing is that everyone is not on the same level. You have people that are coming in new, 
you have people that are junior, you have people that are okay, they're already intermediate, then you have the domain experts as well too. So you have to be able to bring in resources that cut across all of these levels. And which it's not really easy because that would require you spending time as well to research what exactly is going to be beneficial to the community. I don't just want to post junk because it's easy for you to just see uh, materials. Okay, this is a material on front-end development without having to go through it to see if it's something that um, is rich in content and would actually help. And you just keep pushing it across. So that means you have to like go through the materials to an extent or have someone who you know is a domain expert ask questions. Is this a material that is good for front-end developer? or back-end developer, because I'm from a design background. I really don't know much about back-end development, their infrastructures, and all of their programming languages. What I do know is maybe I have a conversation with our back-end engineer concerning what we are building, and maybe it tells me it's going to impact the infrastructure. So I have limited knowledge and limited understanding when it comes to that background. But I have a community whereby I have all backgrounds. What am I going to do? So there has to be a way where you strike a balance to be able to get the required resources available to them so they have a structured learning path. Which brings it back to community and why that community is so incredibly valuable to have all of those people around you and to be able to reach into their area of expertise and to say, hey, we're thinking about this or this is what we're trying to accomplish yeah. and how does this work in from your language and from your understanding. And they can sort of break it down to say, well, if you do it this way, it's this many hours and resources. But if you do it this way, it's it's a different package of hours and resources. And you can kind of make decisions based on that experience and those insights. Sure. Where without that, you might commit to things that are not as effective mm -hmm. or efficient. So having yeah. all of those different people um, knowing that thing. I mean, even cybersecurity. Um, one of the things that another conversation that came up recently was just how, you know, we think about like external threats as being cybersecurity. But when you're in a startup, sometimes like people, because there's a trust level, people are really fast and loose with passwords and just internal things mm -hmm. that if someone is no longer working at the company, is the company or just yes. decides to be internally subversive, you know, how secure is the company mm -hmm. internally, not just, you know, not just from the external threats. And then a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. aren't, aren't really thinking about uh, in, in DevOps, you know, there's also DevSecOps and putting security exactly. into your, <laughs> your applications, you know, right from the foundation, mm -hmm. but you really wouldn't know to think about that unless you had a security professional in that conversation with you. Exactly. So tell me a little bit more exactly. about some of the activities that you're doing at the your local GDG. And what is the name of your local oh. GDG? And just a little bit more um, about your community. GDG. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So uh, my local GDG is GDG Worry. Um, it's located in the south in Delta State, Nigeria. So that's where it's located. Um, so most of the things that we do basically is to organize events. We have um, in-person and virtual events. We have um, a, a an event that happens monthly that's called Meet Up. So we just have the community members come in. We have a certain topic we are going to discuss for that month. So we have like a series of topics. We might be focusing on maybe a particular stack for the month just so we have um, this inclusion that everyone in the community is being accounted for and we have something for every stack in the field. So we have those events, we have those activities, and there, there are times whereby we have workshops. Recently, we had um, a Google Cloud workshop for those that are interested in learning Google Cloud. So we had in-person and virtual workshop just to help those that are interested to get in because one thing that we, we got to understand was that it's very difficult learning alone. But when you have a community of people learning with you, it's easy for you to share what your issues are, what your problems are, and they're able to help you as well, too, when you're doing that. So those are some of the activities we're doing right now. But majorly, our focus right now is we're looking towards um, DevFest. 
having to make arrangements for DevFest. But we also have a WTM event that will be coming up soon as well too, just to help uh, the women in our community because we recently got some new members into the community because we've gotten to a point whereby people are actually going out to let people know that, oh, there's a tech community in Worry. Have you heard about it? And you just have them coming in and they were like, oh, when are we going to meet? I would love to meet everybody and all of that. So we're looking forward to creating another event in person so we get to meet all of those people as well too and see how we can help them get to achieve the desired careers that they want to. That is so fantastic. So what advice do you have for people who are just starting out or at the beginning of their careers and moving forward, moving forward with a desire to do more in product okay. uh, development or have some of these creative skills and, and just wanting to sort of go, how do I cross that over into actually being in tech? All right. Okay. So um, firstly, what I would say is that there's this um, meet whereby you have to have a mentor at the beginning before you get to do anything, but that's not true. And it's been proven time and time again. I think it was um, Seth Golden who said it. He said, instead of you having mentors, have heroes. Those are people you look up to in the industry. The industry you're interested in, people that have made it in the industry, people who are domain experts, look through what they are doing. And I've come to understand that that's something that has really helped me as well too. There's this um, designer, Tana Christian, is um, one of the lead designers in Netflix. He has this um, blog article he releases. And it was because I, I enjoy when he, he, he writes out his posts on LinkedIn. I like um, mostly how he communicates his ideas. I started reading his blog. And believe you, I learned how to write documentations just by reading his blog. Because why? He was one of my heroes. So it's important for you to have heroes, don't wait for mentors. Because mentorship, the idea we have about mentorship is having that one-on-one -on -one conversation. A lot of people are busy. You might not really, very few people will agree to be your mentor and spend time with you. And I tell you, when you get that, don't joke with it. It's a very good experience. But if you're not able to have heroes, people you look up to in the industry, that would really help you in the long run. Then for those who are wanting to basically come into product design or any tech feed whatsoever that you want to come into, one advice I would give is to have a structured learning part. It might just be a course that um, takes you from maybe the idea stage to a newbie in that field. Don't um, don't try to dabble in on the trends because it's very easy to get into the trends. Like, oh, Web3 is what's trending now. Everybody jumps into Web3. Oh, now it's artificial intelligence. Everyone is jumping into artificial intelligence. It gets to a point whereby you're, not long, you're no longer focused on your journey, but now you're focused on what's trending, what's everyone jumping into, and you won't be able to grow. Because once you are able to understand the foundations of what you do, every other thing that comes in is just the extra you think of how can I apply what I have to these new trends that are coming in, not leaving what you have to double into those trends to see what's going on in there. I think that's fantastic advice. And I think I, I do see the work I'm doing in GIS is intersecting with AI machine learning. There's an application mm. to it, but if anything, it's getting me more motivated to follow the direction of some of my heroes that say, get really good at statistics, learn calculus, like get foundational mm. with this. Mm. It's, it, you can all, you know, there's a lot of top mm. line uh, discussions, but they really encourage go deep and go to the, you know, lay a solid foundation. Because once you know calculus statistics in, in my field, it's applicable across mm. everything. It touches every aspect of data science <laughs> and geographic information science. And it's it's there, and you you can move forward without it. But once you see it and understand it, you start seeing it in everything, right. and you start being able to apply it. And so, those are things that yeah. you know I am seeing the trends. But then, 
I'm also wanting to have more uh, of a basis and a footing in it. And uh, which brings yeah, us back to the, the marrying the creative and the technical. Um, closing words, closing thoughts, yeah. just, you know, bring us home. <laughs> okay, so closing thoughts. Um, what I'll basically say is that um, for anything you do, it's important to have like a daily routine. And um, most times when people ask me, what's one thing you want to tell your younger self? And that would be have a structured daily routine that you're consistent with. Because I've come to understand to an extent that when you're consistent with something, after a while, it becomes second nature. You can't change it. It's more like when you don't do it, your body system makes you understand something is missing. Today is not complete. So having that consistent daily routine is very important, not even just for your career, even for your well-being as well, too. Having a daily consistent routine is really important. That is excellent advice. And actually, I think um, one of the things is when you're looking at a wish list or to-do list, uh, I love looking at an 18-month plan broken into quarters. So there's these six mm. kind of things of like, what are we going towards? Where can we be in 18 months? Mm. And it helps break down a big goal and not make it feel so overwhelming if you say, okay, well, here's what I'm going to get accomplished in this quarter. But then I love what you're saying to make sure that if you have things on that list, where do they fit in your week? And more importantly, where do they fit in your day? Because if you're not working on it every day mm. or at least every week or a couple times a week, you're not going to get there. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I love, you're again, the, the strategic, <laughs> this is strategic thinking and the putting it in your plan every day is the operational thinking. How do we actually realize it and make it happen? And we make it happen through those everyday actions. And, and it's nice to kind of know where you're hoping those everyday actions will lead you because you're yes. participating in some sort of discipline that either just helps your health and well-being helps you relate and connect to your inner circle, your community, or helps you on some learning journey that you're on. Yeah, so I think exactly. that's, that's fantastic. Well, I so appreciate you joining us today. This has been fantastic. I, I, I really, really resonated with the idea of having heroes. And I think heroes also can be public figures. But this is part of, I think, also just networking, community, community, going to events. There's so many people that we meet along the way who are just being themselves. And they'll say something to mm. us that just lands and resonates. I remember the first time I was at a GDG networking event and I met someone who said, I'm a GDE. And I said, I, what's a GDE? Oh, I'm a Google development expert. And she was the first person I met who was a GDE. And immediately, like, she didn't need mm -hmm. to be my mentor. She just needed to be the person mm -hmm. who introduced me to that something was possible and that it seemed mm -hmm. worth exploring. And to the point that I said, oh, I want to be a GDE too. And I understood that this is mm -hmm. a multi-year journey. And this is many, many steps mm -hmm. involved and a whole lot more learning than where I am today. But I was excited about that. Yeah. And so sometimes just even the casual interactions that we have when we participate in community can inspire us or we can inspire others by something we do or say that they say, oh, okay, you seem normal and approachable and you're doing this. I can be doing this too. And so I think yes. that, you know, our heroes yes. come in and, and our mentors can come in all shapes, sizes and forms of interaction. Exactly, exactly. I, I couldn't agree more with you. And just like you said, when you met the GD expert, oftentimes some of these heroes, they might just they might just come up with a tool or maybe a tool they discovered helping their productivity. You don't speak to them directly, but you find out that once you're able to take that information and apply it to your own processes, it works seamlessly as well too. So oftentimes they introduce us to tools, processes to help with our careers development as well too so totally agree so we just have to be 
Anna, have a plan so we don't get distracted by the everything. But in our lane, yeah. be really open to the things that are going to further and enrich and enhance our journey. Yes, exactly. I agree with you on that. Exactly. 